Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Football Outsiders Draft live stream here on Tuesday, April 12th, 2022. I'm Mike Tanier. With me, as always, is my co-host, Derek Clausen. How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing great. Kind of excited for the show. Probably our oddest, you know, structure that we've had so far. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to dig into it. I promise you it won't be that weird. It's going to be really, really weird. Uh, question for you before we begin, though. Do you remember when the draft was on May 8th, 9th, and 10th? Yes, it was, like, what, four years ago, maybe? Something like that? And it was just, I mean, like, why? <laughs> <laughs> what? It was 2014. Okay, oh, wow, even longer ago. Jesus. Yes, it was the Jadavian Clowney, Johnny Manziel, Blake Bortles, Khalil Mack draft. What a hell of a class to extend the conversation on, by the way, with Manziel. <laughs> or, I mean, Jesus. <laughs> oh, uh, and so we're talking about extending a conversation is going to go on too long. It was the Michael Sam draft. Oh, wow. Oh, I totally forgot he was that year, too. Yes. Wow. Yes, lots of very informed and inspired debate. That year. What, what was your pre-draft run-up like that particular year? Um, well, so that would have been my junior year of high school, so I'm oh. sure I was still trying to gear up for AP tests and stuff like that. Okay. Um, okay. I, I remember liking Teddy Bridgewater a lot. Um, think, yeah. Which, you know, if not for injury, I think still would have worked out. But In the, in the industry, it was torturous. Um, because you probably feel it right now, this season has gotten a little too long, this draft season. Uh, the past two weeks, and then I guess the following two weeks from here on out, I'm ready for it to be over. You know, it's always fun. Draft season's great, but I think we're getting towards the end here. Yeah, and that's it. And at least this year, everything was a week later. The combine was a week later, et cetera. So that kind of shrunk this time. Back then, it was like an extra three weeks of talking about Johnny Manziel over and over and over again. And you and you. And, this is like lion season. I think Eric DaCosta of the Ravens just calls it lion season. And that's where we're at right now. Like all the news is gone. Everyone's had their pro day except Drake London. <laughs> he may never have his pro day. <laughs> It'll be in the second round. It'll be on the Friday of the draft. Um, He'll do it after all, he gets picked. <laughs> and all we're getting right now is, oh, the visit news and the smokescreen news. and The GMs go up and they give us these little hints and we have to play these games. I'm going to share a, a tweet with you. My, my, uh, my good friend Matt Lombardo, a fan-sided, who is a Giants beat writer, just announced 31 minutes ago that the Giants are hosting some of the top prospects for their top 30 visit, Edge, Kayvon Thibodeau, cornerback Sauce Gardner, and offensive tackle Evan Neal. What does that tell you? I mean, it just tells me that they're hoping one of them falls. <laughs> it, it, it tells me they have a high first-round pick and they want a good football player. Yeah, right, right. They have two high first-round picks. <laughs> they have two high first-round picks, and they want a good football player. And this time of year – by the way, I want to do the ad read before I get forget because everything we do here at Football Outsiders, draft-related, is sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. And you can use the promo code FO40, that's FO40, the digits, at Underdog to double your deposit up to $100. Links to Underdog Fantasy can be found in the description of this video below. And go play with us on Underdog today. We're getting to that time of year, folks. You can play baseball and NBA there at Underdog. I believe they have some draft stuff there. Well, you can do some draft props. So visit us on Underdog Fantasy. But this being lion season and this being visit season, it's also, I thought, conspiracy theory season. Since... Everybody's making stuff up right now. I have some things like some pet theories, some pet peeves that I wanted to run past you today, Derek, because I, I feel like maybe I'm losing my mind a little bit, but like 
I'm suspicious of some of the information I'm hearing. I mean, it's April 12th. I think we're all losing our minds at least a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, let me, since I'm, I get ready for my conspiracy theories here. Oh, you came fully prepared. Okay. This way I can keep out all of the smoke screens. Right? All of the noise can be filtered through. And all that can get to me right now is pure, unadulterated truth for these NFL draft conspiracy theories. I'm going to take this off now because I don't think our sponsor wants to be affiliated with this. So, bang. <laughs> conspiracy theory number one that I want to run past you. Kenny Pickett's scouting report is nothing but autofill. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we saw Kenny Pickett, fifth-year starter, broke out his final season. He's the safe pick. He's the NFL-ready quarterback. We all kind of stuck that in the scouting report. And some of us, like, when even if we watch the film, and of course we watch the film, we had that in our mind's eye that that's who this guy is. Doesn't seem to line up with some of the things you've been saying in film room lately. Yeah, not at all to me. Because, um, yeah, like you said, you know, uh, five-year player, four-year starter, uh, he's going to be like 24 years old this rookie year. So you would think that this is some guy who always has his wits about him, always knows where to go with the ball, very calm in the pocket, all that sort of jazz. I, I mean, even before I got to him, I was hearing, you know, some like he's Joe Burrow-ish type comps. Um, and then you watch him and it's like Burrow was maybe the best processor I've ever seen at the position coming out mm -hmm. of college. And Pickett is like, kind of all over the place he still looks like he's a sophomore a lot of the time to me um and i think when you're you know a four-year starter 24 year old guy that's pretty concerning so i think yeah to your point he's very much a guy who it just seems like oh he's an older prospect with experience so he must be the most pro ready but i just you turn on the tape and that just doesn't really seem to be true to me and it, that that information bubbled up like i mean starting in the senior bowl it's like the insiders love this guy he's so prepared he crushes it all along the way in the process and well, that says maybe that like you're you're great at doing the firm handshake and going up to the whiteboard and, and, and jotting something together. Uh, you talk about processing some of the things you showed. It seems like he's he's late a lot of the time. Is that an accurate assessment? Yep, I think he's late a lot of the time. And to me, the biggest thing is just there's not really consistency in in, in the way that he processes. You know, with like uh, Ritter, for example, mm -hmm. it seems very clear to me like where he wins and like if you call a certain concept, I know where the ball is going to go. Or even with Malik Willis, for example, I know exactly what his strengths and weaknesses are as a processor. Right. <clears throat> and he might have a decent amount of flaws, but I feel like I know exactly what they are, so it's easier to address them. With right. Pickett, it just feels incredibly random when he has this moments of just not wanting to trigger – or not being able to get backside, just all this stuff. So the fact that his process feels so random, it's almost hard to like pin down how you're supposed to fix him. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And you, and you, when you watch, you watch them kind of longitudinally. So you're, you're not like, Oh, I watched a 2021 and I watched a 2019. You're kind of watching sort of week by week by week to see this development, but you're not necessarily seeing that with Pickett. Right. Uh, I try to watch as chronologically as I can, especially when I do my charting. It just feels easier that way. And also right. kind of like you're mentioning, you get a sense of like progression over the course of the year. With Pickett, I just it just didn't feel like that was that way. I mean, there would be one game where he's sprinting to a check down every play and then the next game he just never hits one ever. And he, it, it just the consistency is his process. Like I said, it just wasn't there for me and I, I couldn't understand it. So what happens if the Panthers or Falcons grab him and say, it, the job is job is yours. The job is yours as soon as Mariota gets hurt or something like that. I think bad things would happen. <laughs> um, like to me, you know, Nate Tice has made the comparison to Taylor Heineke, which I think is actually pretty apt. Mm -hmm. um, 
the problem is Taylor Heineke, I think, was a UDFA who took like six years to be yeah. Taylor Heineke. You know what I mean? And he's right. turned into a decent, you know, top 32-ish starter. I mean, because there has to be 32. Um, but like it took a long time for him to be that. And it right. would, to me, take a while for Pickett to get kind of his bearings under him in the NFL. So right. if he's a guy who you're taking top 10, you would typically assume he needs to play early. I don't think that would go very well if Pickett has to play early. Right, right. Yeah, Heineke. And by the time Pickett like advances to Heineke, he's 29 or something like that. And on his like fifth year option. Because like, right. like, you would be taking it with this first round pick and all that jazz. Exactly. Right. Okay. Well, that kind of satisfies my feeling that like that scouting report. Okay. It's not really autofill, but like a lot of times we see what we want to see in these prospects. I, I want to see a safe, low uh, floor, a high floor, low ceiling guy. That's what we're seeing in Pickett. Number two. Now, this one really boggles my mind. Trayvon Walker who is now plus 300 to be the first pick, the first pick in the NFL draft, okay? The NFL is just doing this to troll Trent Baalke. The, the rest of the NFL guys, they, they know Walker's a good player. I'm not going to say Walker's a bad player, but they're like, who's picking first? Trent Baalke. Is he an impressionable soul? He really is. He, if he gets an idea in his head, he might run with it and run until he runs off of a cliff. Let's see if we can get him to take, like, the third best guy on the Georgia defensive line first overall so we can get Hutchinson and Thibodeau and anybody else we want to fall to him. And that's my theory about why Trayvon Walker has risen from mid to late first round pick, which seems reasonable, up to number one. Derek, how crazy am I? <laughs> I think there's probably some truth to it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's like – I don't know. Balky just seems very much like the kind of GM who, if you if you just jangle some shiny keys in front of him, he, he's gonna like <laughs> get really excited. And Trayvon Walker is that kind of prospect because athletically, he's one of the most insane things we've ever seen. I, I mean, he has a ridiculous wingspan. He's like two seventy two, and he moves like he's two thirty. Um, he's played all over the defensive line. He can do all these other sort of assignments. He, he's this like incredible ball of potential. And if anybody is going to pass up on prospects who are theoretically safer to me like you know Hutchinson Thibodeau Evan Neal whatever it's going to be bulky um and it seems like there is probably at least some degree of trying to push him up the board mm -hmm. so that bulky panics and does it I don't know if it'll happen but I think there is he's not given himself the you know the um there's there's some uh reasonable doubt that he could do something stupid like this right and of course I'm being a little silly with these things mm -hmm. GMs love Walker. Oh, I, it seems like it, yeah. I, I mean, again, he's one of the most athletic, you know, specimens I think we've, we've seen, and especially in this class. Right. And, and we've seen athletic spe specimens. Here's the thing I have. Like, athletic edge rock, rusher, tons and tons of potential. Look at these measurables. Look at the three-cone, et cetera. We've seen them. They always go late in the first round. That's where that guy habitually goes if he doesn't have super tape. Yeah, like the – um. The Penn State guy last year that, that went to Baltimore. Like, that's a perfect yeah, example. Right. Incredible athlete. Didn't really know how to play the position all the way yet. Um, and he went late first to a good org that could figure it out. Um, that's a little different than going first overall to an org who has typically not figured these kinds of players out. Now, I want to throw a couple of numbers at you real quick, by the way, to get a sense of this. I was looking at the pressure rate statistics. Uh, Sports Inflow Solutions keeps track of the total number of pressures that edge rushers make. And of course you can divide that by a number of times they rush the pass. You can get pressure rate. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon, 20% pressure rate, 20% of snaps. That's very, very, very good. 
One of the best in the league. Uh, Will Anderson of Alabama blows every statistic away. This oh, year. I mean, he's just, that guy's different. <laughs> that guy's different. <laughs> Next year's show for him. Majai Sanders is at 20%. Um, Aiden Hutchinson's at 18.1%. That's obviously very solid. Uh, Carl Laftis was at 16.7. You're hearing these numbers, 16, 16, 16. Trayvon Walker was at 9.5% pressure rate. 9.5% pressure rate was seventh on Georgia. <laughs> I mean, that sounds insane, but having watched that Georgia front enough, right? it kind of matches what's going on there. I mean, truthfully, it's why they don't really give Walker – like part of the reason, like it, it has this weird like double-edged sword to it, where like yeah. part of the reason he probably doesn't have as many pressures is because they don't give him a ton of one-on-one situations. But right. also, like if he was good enough for them, they right. would be giving him them. So right. I mean, it, it kind of is like one of those. Uh, it's like a Roar Sarge test. It's whatever you want it to be. And personally, I lean towards the side of he's not good enough at it, so they didn't give him those chances. And, and, and I'm kind of somewhere in between on that. And it all boils down to, yeah, to talk to me in the middle of the first round at the end of the first round. Cause you're right. The other question is, well, yeah, he can't get the, the sacks because Wyatt and Davis and then, you know, Dean is blitzing and they have that young man whose name eludes me number 88. Who's always uh, Jalen Carter, another yeah, potential number one guy. <laughs> we'll see him next year, et cetera. But it's like, if you're a number one guy, you should be the winner on your own team for these things. And, People might say, well, there's not enough sacks to go around there in Georgia. Well, David Ajabo's sack rate for Michigan was 14.9% as the other guy, the Hutchinson. So, you know, I, I can't get around this very low pressure rate. I, I don't see the film, you know, and, and, and therefore, and I don't see the stats, but I do see the potential of the player. So first round, maybe we're not just trolling Trent Bialke, but I'm not crazy to think the Walker – bus has gone a little ahead of itself no i think so because that's the thing you know when like three months ago i first started grading him he was like a late first round pick to me and i thought i liked him and then it turns out i guess he's just the top three player in the class all of a sudden <laughs> you didn't like him enough i guess <laughs> that's what i think like everyone discovered him simultaneously and they kept out discovering each other until mm -hmm. he's the best player in the draft look look what a discovery i made it's like when you see the band on the side stage they're the next beatles you know? exactly exactly right Next conspiracy theory, and I think I saw you tweeting with some folks about this yesterday. Not specifically the conspiracy, but the player. Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau, just a victim of the Oregon haters. Uh, what piece of news did you see coming across, uh, or piece of gossip did you see coming across uh, Twitter yesterday? I want to say it was a clip from Daniel Jeremiah's podcast. Yes. I don't know if he was saying it or if somebody else was saying it on his podcast, but it was the idea that if uh, Hutchinson goes number one overall, which is, is pretty likely, yeah. um, that the Lions would actually be interested in Kayvon Thibodeau at number two, which is in stark contrast to, you know, the past two months, we've seen Thibodeau fall down to eight or 10 and end up behind even guys like Jermaine Johnson or whatever. Yes. Um, so I think I thought it was just funny to me that, you know, to me, he's been the best player in the draft the entire time. And it was just insane to me that he was falling um, to the, you know, to the 10 range. Um, and now that we're, you know, we're finally almost to the draft and he's back at the top the way that he always was. We've come full circle. This is why I keep my tinfoil hat handy this time of year. Because for weeks I was like, what's wrong with me? Because, by the way, the whispers about the character, they sometimes get to us. You know, like we're, mm -hmm. you're, in, you're in Indianapolis, you're sitting around. Uh, some 
scout, some assistant GM, some assistant GM's friend, et cetera, comes up and says, yeah, blah, blah, blah. The agent for the other guy comes up and tells you this. I never heard a whisper that made sense about Thibodeau. I don't know if you have. No, because this has always been my take on it is that everything I've either heard in public or off the record or whatever is is like not substantiated by anything. It's right. just like, oh, teams just don't like him. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Right. Like That doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, and so to me, it just seems very much of, um, you know, yeah, kind of the Oregon thing. It seems like for whatever reason, guys just don't like the attitude that these Oregon guys have. Um I don't think there's anything to that. Obviously, I think Sewell and, and Herbert, who are the two other big ones, obviously, yeah. have both been incredible and seem like very good professionals. So I don't think there's anything to whatever this Oregon thing is. I think it's just nonsense. Right, because I'm not losing my mind. Sewell had some of that. He's soft. He's mm-hmm. not aggressive. He had some of that, right? It seemed like it, yeah. And yeah. then Herbert was kind of the, he's too soft-spoken to be a leader, blah, blah, blah. And then he just comes out and everybody loves him and he's a cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And this is my theory that like all of these SEC heads, these three year lettermen on the on Twitter, like like guys mm-hmm. who's just like like all of football must come out of either Texas or Alabama and must be a certain way. They look at those shiny uniforms. They remember Chip Kelly when he was there and they're like this program and, and they, they are just predisposed to think a certain way about the style of football they're playing in the Pacific Northwest. They're a bunch of dirty hippies. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they think about it, but it's like every single time an Oregon top prospect comes out, I, I feel like it happened to DeForest Buckner. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. He, like it it seems like, yeah. Yeah, it goes back that far. They just have it out for this individual. It, even like Eric Armstead, I felt like fell further than he was supposed to, just kind of on the basis of like, oh, you know, he played basketball for a while. Maybe he's not all that interested in football, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, almost an all pro defensive lineman (laughs) like come on like it's just absurd um and the thing is to me with Thibodeau is like if you just took off his current school and said yeah there's this former number one overall recruit who started for three years had pretty good production um at a power five has like fairly good tape like you would think that's like an automatic top three pick every time and so the fact that he wasn't that for a little bit you know these past couple months was just it's bonkers to me. It just made no sense. So you're confirming me. Yeah. There's an Oregon theater's <laughs> bias, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's Oregon or the West Coast in general, and they just happen to be the best West Coast school, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Confirmation, just what I need when I'm wearing my tinfoil hat. Let's go on to another conspiracy theory. And this goes to somebody who had their pro day last week. And it's a chance to talk a little bit about somebody we haven't talked about a lot, but is a top prospect. Derek Stingley and Derek Stingley Jr. And my, my theory is that every team hopes someone else drafts Derek Stingley. We, we did see him as pro day. He was phenomenal at his pro day. He was phenomenal for the national championship LSU Bayou Bengals in 2019. And in between he. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Stingley and what do you, what, what's your perception of how the, the league thinks of him right now? So I think the conspiracy theory here might not be wrong that every team kind of does want him to be that guy that goes in the top 10 so that somebody else falls. Right. Um, I just think that that's really stupid. I, like, I think Stingley <laughs> is a baller okay. um, because to me, so yeah, like the past two years, um, you know, he's had injuries. He's been on and off the field. The program right. as a whole has not been very good. Right. Um, so he's a little bit more living off of like his freshman tape than anything, but Again, elite recruit, and he was just dominating people in the SEC level. Like, to me, you know, a couple years ago, um, he was one of the only guys I've actually seen, like, go toe-to-toe with Kyle Pitts. 
That's really hard, man. Mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts is an incredible athlete, incredible right. route runner for his size. Um, and the fact that Stingley, as a freshman, was able to go toe-to-toe with him, to me, was like, okay, this guy is like a potential all-pro corner. So I think even though his past couple of years have been um, you know, weird, especially with all the injury stuff, I just think athletically he's unbelievable. He has the pedigree of a three-year starter. Um, mm-hmm. His tape, to me, is incredible um, You know, when he's on the field. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I just think like, if he had been any degree of healthier, I think this would be a no-brainer. Is he your CB1? Yeah. And that's not even to take away from Sauce. I think Sauce is pretty good, too. I just think, right. you know, Stingley just – he's just incredible. Right. But my, my conspiracy theory comes from the everyone wants to make a safe choice in the NFL draft. Yeah. And, and Stingley with, you know, with the injury stuff, with him not playing as much the past couple of years, I, I could see how teams would get a little bit scared of that. Um, especially when you have another seemingly safer option in a guy like sauce, who is, you know, he's longer, right. he's, he's, uh, he has, um, you know, he played more recently, a lot more film and that sort of stuff was a part of one of the best G five defenses ever, <laughs> um, which is honestly like a nice little feather in his cap. So, um, by the way, I just want to let everyone know, uh, I had my screen set up a certain way. I have been unable to read anything on the side. <laughs> And I think there's a great conversation going on. I just realized, man, nobody's talking during this. You guys, thank you for all of your contribution. I'm sorry if you asked the question. I did not get to you. I had no idea what was going on. I was trying to trying to read my little script on the side <laughs> as well. But yeah, but going back to, sorry about that, folks. Going back to Stingley, it's like, yeah, you know how it is, Derek. It's like, if I'm Joe Sheen, I'm Joe Douglas. I, I got to make these safe picks. And it's like, oh no, someone jumped ahead of me. It took Stingley. I took sauce. Well, Stingley works out. It's like, we got jumped. But we got the other guy, and if he, if, if it turns out, you know, he's an injury case or etc., you get to, uh, <laughs> you get to be like, oh, dodge the bullet. We got the safer choice there, right? Lobby CDQ mentions that Mike Mamula had better college production than Trayvon Walker. We are, we do not. This is a non-Mike Mamula zone. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> now, Mike Mamula, okay, it's no longer a Mike Mamula zone. The Eagles drafted. <laughs> Mike Mamula, because he was a workout warrior out of Boston College, okay, um, who had this combine results that were just absolutely through the roof at the time. I believe Ray Rhodes was the coach and GM. He was going to be the edge rusher of all edge rushers, uh, you know, except for that guy over there for the Eagles. He came out. He was athletically stiff. He was straight lineish, and just like he actually had one good. He had one good game against Willie Rofe. Willie Rofe, he had like a three-sack game. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like the, one of the jokes in Philly is, oh, but he got three Harrys, you know. Uh, <laughs> he got three Harrys last week, and he would never get a sack. And like the other t- talk here in Philadelphia was, they're going to move him to linebacker next year, and he's going to be a linebacker because, you know, a very stiff edge rusher. Oh, that makes the perfect linebacker, of course, yeah. <laughs> it's going to make an outstanding linebacker. Yes, he went, thank you, Lobby. He went seventh overall. I don't have all my uh, numbers about him. And eventually he disappeared because um, he dropped his pants at a bar in front of a woman after a couple of years in the NFL. Um, that's also a thing that happened. Hmm. <laughs> Enough about Mike Mimola. I want to just get to a couple of these. Joey Sucks can confirm that all Oregonians are dirty hippies. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I watched Portlandia and it's confirmed all of my priors there. <laughs> Great show, by the way. <laughs> okay. Patrick Stewart, uh, Patrick Stewart, Patrick Seeley's uh, conspiracy theory is that he gave bad interviews so he wouldn't have to play for a crappy team like the Lions. I'm assuming you're talking about Thibodeau. That it didn't like Deion Sanders. I don't know. I don't know if Deion Sanders intentionally gave bad interviews, but I think he said something along the lines to teams of like, I'm not going to be there when you're picking anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which I guess is like the opposite of what Thibodeau was doing, but just like an interesting interview strategy. Right. Well, well Sanders' interview strategy back then was he was so good that nothing else mattered. Right. And well, I mean, he was right. <laughs> like, you know, I like I joke about dirty hippies. You know, the NFL guys are so stodgy now. Imagine what they were like in the 1990s. And, and uh, Dion was as flamboyant as a human being could be. Like they would they would have any excuse they would have gotten to flush this guy out of the NFL, they would have. And they they couldn't because he was so damn good. Uh, but I don't think Thibodeau has that luxury. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go into one more conspiracy theory, and that's that the 22, 2022 draft wide receivers aren't really that good. Now, I, I get this from Lance Zerline was uh, tweeting about this, I think, last week. And it's just something I wanted to throw out there as, as something to talk about. I started thinking about it, and it's like there's a lot of very good wide receivers, but is this is this an outstanding class? What, what's, what's your overall take on this class? I think it's like a fairly good class that doesn't have a clear superstar like a Jamar Chase. Um, And even then, like truthfully, I think I probably liked Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith better than anyone in this class. But that's the thing is like that doesn't necessarily take away from this class. I think we were just unbelievably spoiled by the top 10 picks in last year's class between Chase Smith and Waddell. Um, And all of them as rookies were as good as we thought they were or better like Chase one of the best rookie receivers you've yes. ever seen. Devonta Smith was incredible for the Eagles. Yes. Um, and Jalen Waddell, God bless his soul, getting stuck in Miami. He was incredible last year. Right. Um, and so, like, I think we're just – it's it's hard to live up to the billing of what the 2021 class was, even though there's plenty of talented guys in this class. And if I think back in the last three or four drafts, they were loaded with wide receiver talent. And I think we touched on this last, last week. Somebody asked a question, mm-hmm. and it's like, they're that good because there's just every draft class has tons and tons of talent. So this one isn't a bad class. It's just that draft classes have tons and tons of talent. It, it's not particularly great. It's like the normal kind of good. I think we should just expect now because yeah, like you said, like this is just kind of the way the sport has evolved where there's just going to be a ton of receiver talent. Mm-hmm. And this class is like, you know, it lives up to that, but it's not as special as it, as some other classes. Right, and it might it might look a little different if Williams and to a, and Mechie to a degree mm-hmm. were 100 healthy and we saw them run and things like that. I might be a little bit confident, like yeah, this is going to be the the class. We're probably going to talk about this in two weeks or so. How many wide receivers top ten? How many wide receivers first round? What what are you seeing on that? I think one of them probably goes top ten. Mm-hmm. I would guess like Atlanta, um, just because their receiver room is one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, it's horrendous. Um, so I could definitely see one, at least one going in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Overall first round, I would have to imagine five, like probably both Ohio State guys, right. London, Williams, and then like one of uh, Burks or maybe Dotson, something like that. Somebody, I could see somebody taking the swing on Sky Moore even. So Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see that, although I wouldn't – I like Sky more, but, like, in the first round – Yeah, I, I don't know if I would do it, but we've seen worse receivers get picked in the first round, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, backtrack uh, to uh, Thibodeau. Uh, Thordian Hammer points out his only concern is that the Pac-12 has terrible tackles, and maybe that scares him. The Pac-12 has terrible tackles. That's accurate, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, like – a fair concern i just think to me like he's so athletic and to play right away the way that he did and had i think he had like nine sacks as a freshman like even if we assume the level of competition is a little bit lower than some of the other power conferences like mm-hmm. 
I still think he pretty much checks every box. Right, right. And I, I don't think, yeah, it's bad, but it's not at this level so far. It's not the CUSA. <laughs> right, right. It's not Conference USA. It's not the AAC. It's not the Sun Belt. And we've seen edge rushers come out of these uh, places where I've watched the film and I'm like, what, like Marcus Davenport years ago, uh, who was a heck of a ball mm. player out of UTSA. And I'd just be watching the film like, what is this nonsense? That yeah. that dude, that's just a lumpy dude that they stuck at left tackle. And of course, <laughs> flying past him. You don't get that in the pack in the Pac-12. Right. Um, Patrick Seeley asked, Jamison Winston going to be a high draft pick, or will he drop to the twenties? I, I think teams are going to look past the ACL. I I really think he is such a special case of um, speed and like route running for that speed. Because typically, when you get these speedsters, like that's kind of all they are. Like Henry Ruggs that like when he came out of Alabama, that he wasn't a polished player. He was just the fastest guy in the, in the class. So I think teams right. were willing to, to swing. I think Williams is that, and also a fairly polished route runner. So I think, I think teams, unless the ACL is just turbo terrible, bad, right, right. I think teams are going to like look past it and just take him. Yeah. I have a hard time seeing him get past the Eagles in the middle of everything. Right. That, that range of like, it's like the saints Eagles chargers. There's no chance he gets past that. I just right. no chance. Right. The Patriots are in there. except Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that leads us, I think to our next segment here. I'm going to thank you for helping me uh, come back from my conspiracy series. I'm going to put this back around uh, some uh, cold cuts uh, when, in my refrigerator where it belongs. And it is time now to fix the franchise. And we will get to your question in a moment, Lobby CDQ. This week's Fix the Franchise is a team we talked about last week because they were just coming off of a big trade. It's the New Orleans Saints. Yes, this is one of the weirder teams in the NFL, a team I have strong feelings about. If you recall, uh, they were $50 million in cap debt uh, at the beginning of the offseason. They dug their way out of it by extending some very sensible contracts like Ryan Ramchick. And some not so sensible contracts like Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara. Um, they are a veteran team, which is a nice way of saying an old team, particularly on defense, although they have some youth on the offensive line. And it's hard to say who has what what their needs are because they got a guy at a lot of positions. For example, I said need a quarterback. Well, they've got Jameis at quarterback, so you might have feelings about that. They left tackles a need. We're gonna st- stick with that. Wide receiver, they don't have anything besides Michael Thomas, really. And Michael Thomas caught his last touchdown pass in December of 2019. It's been a moment. Um, They lost both uh, free safety Marcus Williams and strong safety Malcolm Jenkins to free agency and retirement. They replaced them with Marcus May and a meme, otherwise known as Daniel Sorensen. And they need youth everywhere and uh, because they're oldest and they're going to be in ridiculously bad cap shake for years to come, but they're going to be in denial and pretend that they aren't. So one thing I said, Derek, is like when we do these mock drafts, they've got the two first rounders at the Eagles trade. Trade up if you want to, because it seems like everyone seems to think that's what they're doing. You decide to trade up. I decide to trade up. Let's see who you picked for your mock draft. <laughs> I'm about to check it. And here it comes. There's your guy. Desmond Ritter, always. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I usually am not inclined to trade up in these in these drafts because typically it feels like trying to gauge trades in a mock draft is just like a waste of time. However, it just feels like there's no way that the Saints did what they did 
to not go up again um, and, and get a quarterback. Like it just seemed, it would just be really odd to me. Um, and so I took the trade, took the trade with the Giants, mostly because like I feel like the Giants are probably going to move out of one of those picks um, just because I don't think there's a need for them to be good right now. Um, and then I just took, to me, the best quarterback um, on the board, which is Desmond Ritter. Um, even for as much as I like him, seven might be a, a little rich. Um, but I also think it would not surprise me that they took a quarterback just because I think when you have Winston and I believe they have Andy Dalton in the room for whatever we want to say about what those quarterbacks are now, those are like two adult quarterbacks in the room. They're, they're both professionals. They know how to be NFL starting quarterbacks. And I think that's actually a really important thing to have when you're bringing in, um, a young quarterback, you know, I think it's really important to, to understand like how to be a professional, all that sort of stuff. And I think um, with this, as smart as Ritter is, I think he would pick up on a lot of that stuff very well. So I actually think it's a really good environment for for him to to land. Assuming we're talking about a Sean Payton-esque system moving forward, which makes sense, his assistants are there. Ritter looks like a fit for that. Is that correct? Right. I think he can do this because they, they do a lot of like, you know, legitimate dropback stuff where they're giving everything, you know, in, in you know, all five are going out. Um, you know, that's why they have Alvin Kamara. Um, and I think he's the kind of guy who can handle all that stuff and, and get to the right spot consistently. Um, I, I do. I would like to see him work on his, you know, deep game just a little bit, um, you know, get better at some of those play action shot plays that they're going to cook up. But other than that, I think, like you said, it would be a pretty good fit. All right. Now, one of the problems with trading up is that you lose your resources, and this is a team with other needs. So they they come back around again in the second round, and they try to address left tackle here. Tell me a little bit about Abraham Lucas. Truthfully, I don't know a ton about Lucas. I just it was kind of one of those things where they very clearly need a left tackle um, replacing Teron Armstead. I think currently their left tackle would be slotted to be James Hurst, who is great when he's your sixth offensive lineman. He's yeah. not great when he's scheduled to be your week one starter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to me, it just, they have to take the best tackle on the board. Um, and the way it shaked out for me was Abraham Lucas. Okay. Now I know good about Romeo Dobbs, anybody who's been watching, trying to figure out the whole Carson Strong thing <laughs> in Nevada, Dobbs and Cole Turner, the uh, tight end and, and, and Carson Strong were like the triplets. They were roommates for all four years. And Dobbs was, is kind of a deep threat at wide receiver. That makes sense, right? Exactly. I, I mean, like, I mean, truthfully, the Saints could use just about any kind of wide receiver talent past Michael Thomas, but I think the thing they need most is juice. And we even saw that last year. Um, they just don't have a guy who is a consistent downfield threat. Right. Um, even if they have guys who are, like, athletic, they they just don't function very well down the field and they can't consistently get open. Mm-hmm. I think Dubs, even though he's kind of limited to being that guy where he's mostly just a deep threat who can occasionally pick the ball out of the air, fairly well um i just think that kind of juice is absolutely necessary for them and he was the best player in that mold with the, with the way the board fell here right they have like callaway mm-hmm. who you would say well that's going to be your defense well, he's been on that team for a couple of years now he's never really yeah. been more than a guy who goes fast in a straight line if that was going to work out it would have already worked out <laughs> and i think we're, we're past that <laughs> right now by the way there are a couple questions on the board here i'm going to start with the uh somewhat facetious one from joey sucks is burn it to the ground an option to fix the Saints? And now I realize I don't really have to answer that because Patrick's the only answer that you can't burn it all down because they extended everyone <laughs> for 10 years. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think there's something like $30 million over the 2023 cap. Now, that's not real in that the cap's going to change, et cetera, but they've already committed about $270 million. That's real to the 2023 cap. So there's no option for this team to say, let's just cut everyone. They could have tried something like that, like in February, that ship is completely sailed. 
Um, another question here, uh, and this is a, a Bears question. I want to get back to it. Lobby CDQ asks, will the Bears have a chance at Tolbert? I'm assuming you mean Jalen Tolbert. Of, that would be my of guess, yeah. South Alabama with pick 48. I would guess yes. What do you think, Derek? I would also guess that he should be on there because I just have to imagine that like in that range, you know, in the the back end of the first round to the top of the second, I imagine that's where Christian Watson might go. Sky Moore, George Pickens, like it feels like there's too many other guys at the, you know, in that tier right above him yes. that Tolbert is probably going to be able to fall to 48. And that's it. I feel like there's a tier and mm-hmm. then Tolbert jumps into this particular group of guys. I think Dobbs is in that guy in that group to a degree as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, especially for deep threats, I think Alec Pierce might be a little better than that, but I think Alec Pierce is in that threat, the vertical guys um, who have that sort of like their dimension. And they're a step below, obviously the Jamison Williams and guys like that. Right. I, I mean, you know, it, to mention Pierce real quick, I think he would be sick with uh, Justin Fields. Cause I think Fields is very much the type of quarterback who is willing to throw some 50, 50 balls. And if there's anything Pierce is good at, it's going yes. up and finding the ball. So, yeah. And, and that's really, you saw that frequently when you watched Ritter. Mm-hmm. Up the sideline of the shot, and he gets the arms out. It's what Allen Robinson was always supposed to do, but Allen Robinson's soul got crushed. Yep. Which, <laughs> fair. <laughs> yeah, the poor guy. He had to go from Hackenberg at Penn State to Bortles and those guys, and then you got stuck with uh, Trubisky and all that. So uh, hopefully hopefully they'll have a little renaissance now. He, I, he's with the Rams now, so maybe things will work out for him. Uh, another question or another uh, insight. Back to the uh, Saints for a second. Patrick Sealy thinks the Saints traded for first so they can have two starters on rookie contracts because of all the horrible contracts. I'm kind of you're about I'm about to do my mock and I had them trading up too. Maybe. I don't think that that's wrong except that why would you move past the Eagles and up if all you're doing is going past the Chargers to get Trevor Penning with that pick to, with that trade, it still doesn't make a lot of sense to me. See, that's the thing. It doesn't make sense. But if any team was going to do the thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, <laughs> it probably would be the Saints, right? <laughs> uh, I still think they're going to end up going up for a quarterback at some point. But like, if any team would do this like bizarre thing where they're just trying to get ahead of a couple of teams in the middle of the first round, right. it would be the Saints because they're the one team that just bucks every team-building trend. <laughs> and, and you're right. And by the way, they will still have two picks instead of one. My thought on the Saints was they would want those two picks in the first round, first round contracts in 2023 when they really have to start jettisoning things. And mm-hmm. uh, let's put my mock draft up uh, while we're doing this. And one reason I didn't have them trading up with the Giants is because the Giants cap situation is so ugly that I don't necessarily think the Giants can trade down and have three first round picks. So while they would be down the clown normally, I was like, yeah, I don't see them. They'd be like, nah, we can't, we can't afford this. So I went with the Jets. And with your logic, Derek, I agree. Having Jameis and Andy Dalton, you do have two adults in the room. You have two veterans. That signals to me that they're not necessarily going for a quarterback. And again, that's a, a conspiracy theory that a lot of people have, that it's not a quarterback that they're going after. So took them up to the Jets and took Charles Cross, very safe, straightforward. Here's your left tackle. You've got your left tackle situation, probably solved in Charles Cross. Really not much to talk about, except he's a really solid tackle prospect. Agree. I mean, and truthfully, he reminds me a lot of Teron Armstead. So I think it's like a pretty seamless, seamless fit for them. Right, right. And then here's the problem. And, and, and this goes back to the dilemma. And it goes back to what Patrick Sealy was saying. They have so many needs that when you trade those two resources for one, 
you open up a potential need elsewhere. If not this year, then next year. And remember, it's not two resources you traded for one. It's four, five, because they traded a third-round pick and they traded next year's first-rounder. And so you, you're left with the rest of the draft. Like, you could grab, almost go best available athlete for the Saints. So when I was using the mock draft simulator, I prefer Quay Walker was sitting there. Um, not necessarily a knee player, but the Mario Davis is one of those guys who's on the wrong side of 30. I think he's getting to be like the wrong side of 32. I don't have it in front of me. He's under contract until the sun burns out and goes supernova. And Walker is a guy you can bring in and give you speed at the linebacker position and give you a useful player right away and a starter in 2023. Absolutely. I, I mean, I like Quay Walker a lot. I think some of the, you know, pushing him into the first round talk is a little generous um, because I don't think he moves quite as well as he he tested side to side. I mean, his long speed is pretty insane. I, I just mean like his uh, quickness and stuff. But the thing I would say about Walker and why I think he actually would be awesome for the Saints, you know, defense with Dennis Allen is if you watch him at Georgia, they are very adamant about making him their cover player to the field. Like they want him covering as much space. They're fine yeah. with him covering um slot receivers tight ends all that stuff they wanted him doing a lot of that right if you're going to survive in the dennis allen defense as a linebacker you Mm -hmm. better be able to cover and so i think he he would be a really cool fit for them right and keeping that in mind uh going from linebacker to safety you're in need of a box type safety you currently have daniel Sorensen, which means you're really in need of a box type safety and you we're all the way down at pick 69 now by the way they don't have pick 69 but since they were only trading up to 10 I gave the, the Saints something back in the, in the in the hypothetical imaginary trade I made. I don't know if it works out perfectly. I gave him an extra third-round pick and grabbed Toledo's Tyson Anderson. Now, this is a guy who's really long, 6'2 or 6'3. I believe he ran a 4.36 40 wow. at the combine. He ran something absolutely blisteringly fast at the combine. When you look at him on film, obviously, I love the range. The coverage skills are strong. He had quietly had a pretty good senior bowl. He was usually covering tight ends. He was able to blanket them pretty well. I don't love the physicality. I'm watching this guy who I think should be up there and hitting and things like that. And he kind of he kind of chicken fights with blocks and he kind of gets blocked off. But pure speed, pure coverage, and third round. Here's a guy I could say, he ain't Malcolm Jenkins, but he could be better than Daniel Sorensen. I think that's the important part. It's just trying to find someone to even push Daniel Sorensen, I think is really important for them. Yeah. Uh, pushing is going to, of course, they had Honey Badger visiting last week, and then the Honey Badger visited the Eagles. And uh, Tyron Matthews' agents are making sure we know, and the Chiefs know, how much everyone loves him because every time he walks in the door of a building, there's a nice picture of that. There's a chance that the Saints, the Saints have the money. They could solve the, sign the Honey Badger. He walked out of the door without a contract uh, in his home state, in his hometown. So I think that that replacement is going to have to come through the draft. Um, and then the I'll go with the real useful titles question. Really think Reese Hall will fall this far? Probably not. But the mock draft simulator I was using, you know, and I run it a couple of times and everything, had him sitting there saying, oh, teams are not, I don't know, the, the computer said that teams weren't going to go for running backs. Now, I put him in because it's plausible enough. I, I think he's going to be going in the second round. But it gives me a chance to talk about the fact that the running back room right now is Alvin Kamara coming off an injury-plagued year with legal issues, and his backup is Mark Ingram again. Okay? And again. <laughs> again. For, like, the four, his fourth tour of duty with the Saints. And that's the thing. When you look at the Saints roster, it's like, oh, they're fine there. They're fine there. And you lose track of how old the guy is at that position. Sort of have they fallen off to a degree. And it, 
again, it probably won't be Brees Hall. James Cook was also on the um, on on the list there, and that'd be somebody they might be interested in. Might be an interesting compliment to Kamara, a running back there, not to fill a need. We've not solved any wide receiver problems, but just to plug a potential future hole. Right. I, I think that's the best way to frame it. Um, I mean, honestly, it might end up being for this year, just depending on how the the Kamara stuff shakes out. Um, and then, like you said, like Ingram. Truthfully, I think Ingram like was good for what he is at this point you know what i mean like i think last year he can be like a pretty solid number two but with running backs like when they hit the wall they hit the wall and it could be this year with ingram just because he's he's as old and has as much run as he does so i think if they targeted a running back especially someone with you know kind of the bulk that hall has you know again he's he he specifically is probably not going to be here but if they targeted a guy who could you know kind of fill in more for what ingram does um i think it would make a, a ton of sense Right. You don't want to be in a position where Kamara is, again, limited or unavailable. And then Ingram is your bell cow. At right. This point. Right. So right. You, that that's that was a seven years ago type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. A couple other questions and thoughts about the uh, about the Saints. And I'll backtrack because there was some about other teams. Um, Patrick Sealy put a proposal out there that I was actually fiddling with when I was doing mock drafts. Um, Jamison Williams before the Eagles and Chargers. To replace uh, 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 Tomas, uh, Lola Thomas, and then the best offensive lineman. Well, here's 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 problem one: the Eagles are still ahead of the Saints. Right. Eagles gave them sixteen, not fifteen. So the Eagles want Jameis Winston. They're going to get take Jameis Winston. Okay, that's your first problem. So then they're not taking one. Maybe they take Olave or somebody like that. That would be pretty darn solid. Best offensive lineman after the Chargers draft is probably not going to be Evan Neal. It's not going to be Charles Cross. It's not going to be Ike Aquinu. It might not be Trevor Penning at that point. So that's when you look at this, neither scenario makes sense. Like waiting where they're at now, they're going to lose the guys they want. Okay. Although they could take Penning with the first one, then go back and take a receiver. But moving up fills a potential hole. Right. I think if they're adamant on solving tackle and receiver, the tackle portion of it doesn't seem like it's as plausible. Cause like you said, they're going to end up picking one of these second or third tier guys, like a Tyler Smith or Bernard Raymond, something like that. I think receiver, they'll probably be fine. Cause even if it's not Jamison Williams, like you mentioned, they could probably still get somebody like Olave, who to me is like still really good. And in the first tier of receivers in this yeah. class. So I think receiver, they could probably figure out tackle. I mean, and this is why you traded up for a tackle. If they really want one of the best guys, it, they're, they're going to have to go up and do it. Right. Absolutely. By the way, preview of next week's walkthrough for me, Tyler Smith has some phenomenal statistics, but did you know he led the nation in holding penalties with 12 holding penalties in 2021? You know what? I haven't seen him too much myself, but uh, I work with Brandon Thorne over at Bleach Report. He obviously does all the offensive line stuff um, for us. Everything I've heard about Tyler Smith, that penalty thing checks out. (laughs) Yeah. When you watch the film, I mean, he, he he's unbelievably nimble. He gets to the outside. And then he gives a nice big hug. I mean, I mean, not always. I mean, sometimes he mauls the guy, and it's very impressive. I think he's a good prospect. He's only 21 years old, like, literally. Like, he turned 21, like, I think uh, Saturday or something like that. So he's a very young prospect. He can grow out of it. But if you took Tyler Smith and put him on the edge of the Saints line and said, you're our left tackle right now, you had a hard time not holding against, you know, AAC guys. Here's, here's the Buccaneers pass rushers. It could right. be, it, it could be, it could be a little ugly. Yeah. Um, I, I think going from what he, he faced with some of those technical issues to, Oh, go block uh, Brian Burns. Uh, I don't know. About that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. right. It's just going to be grab, you know, yep. <laughs> on the edge. Um, 
Thordian Hammer asks, can the Saints just start doing MLB-style buyouts where they pay Taysom Hill $1 million a year for 40 years? Don't give them any – don't give Mickey Loomis any ideas. Look, if that's what it takes to get him off the roster, I mean <laughs> – <laughs> I'm here for it. Whatever kind of weird tricks we can come up with to get him off the roster. <laughs> and Joey sucks says they, the, the Saints just need to start handing out contracts in the style of the lease of the Guinness storehouse in Dublin, which I had the pleasure of visiting many years ago. It's a 9,000 year lease. So yeah, the, the Guinness storehouse with that <laughs> Guinness has a sp- downtown in downtown Dublin, which nowadays you would never have like, processing or anything like that at it it's still there because they signed a nine thousand year lease in the year 1817 or whatever um that's Taysom hill's future it's looking like it <laughs> <laughs> the the actual the actual answer is you know the saints are doing what they're doing they're at the limit of what's allowed by the collective bargaining agreement on these contracts and that's kind of what they're doing i mean they're just extending these things out to 2024 2025 uh if you think that makes sense then you're mickey loomis or you're somebody on a from a saint blog um the, the, the fact is they put together a good team this year and i think a couple of guys were pointing out they could be a wild card team this year because they play in the nfc south absolutely i mean like i get why they think they can compete right now i mean you, know, you brought up their problems that they're going to have the next couple of years but i think right now really outside of tampa bay like it's an extremely winnable division like the panthers are probably not going to be very good um, the Falcons are horrendous. And then even truthfully, like the NFC at large, not that great. Like they could probably pretty reasonably get into a wild card spot. Right. And that's it. You get into your wild card spot. And then next year you have to run it back with the same guys <laughs> a year older and a year worse. I want to backtrack to a question that is not about the uh, the Saints, but about the Jets. If Thibodeau isn't there at four, this is from DJ RM3. And I think he's talking about my mock draft, which dropped uh, on uh, Monday. If Thibodeau isn't there at four, what do you think about the Jets taking Wilson at four and Carl Laftis at 10? I don't hear Garrett it. Wilson? Yes. You think that's too high, don't you? Oh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like that at all. <laughs> um, okay. And Wilson's like a fine player. I just think, one, if you're going to be a receiver prospect picked in the top 10, you should be a very clear number one. We don't even have to think about how to use you anything. That's why I thought, you know um, – Chase, Waddle, and Smith were just like no-brainer these guys can produce. Mm-hmm. Wilson, I think it's going to be a little bit trickier, and I think it's going to take him some time to get adjusted to the NFL, so I don't love him at four. Um, however, Karloftis at 10, okay. I'm on board. I think he's you know he's a top 10 prospect to me. Um, I think he could be something like a Ryan Kerrigan, where he's just a very good power, technical type of rusher with not the best bend, but like enough to complement all of the other things that he does. So mm-hmm. I'm really high on Karloftis. If they got him at 10, I think that would be awesome. Okay, so we got our positive Purdue uh, statements in, which we have to yes. do here every Tuesday. Well, who would you put it for for the Jets then, if not Wilson? Um, in that scenario, it seems like you know Neil could be there. Um, yeah. I think you know even if they want to kick him to right tackle, I think that would be really good for a guy like Zach Wilson, who I think really needs help with the with the offensive line. Yeah. Um, if they wanted to do that, um, either of the corners would probably be fine. They really yeah. really need cornerback help. So if they take Stingley or Sauce, that would be. Better, better than Wilson to me. Um, I think that's that's probably the, the direction I'd be looking at. Yeah, and I like well Wilson better than you, but I would take the chance that he comes back around at ten if I'm the Jets. Yeah, I, I ten I think is still a little too high for me, but it's like in the range where it's like you know what, 
I get it, especially because that's like right before the, a bunch of receivers are going to rattle off the board. Whereas yeah. like to me, the four to 10 range is where a lot of the um, either remaining tackles or best defenders are going to go. Mm-hmm. So it feels more to me like that's the range that the Jets should be striking for those positions. You're either going to get a starting left tackle for the next 10, 12 years or possibly a shutdown corner. Right. And in the scenario, Thibodeau is already gone in the scenario or you're exactly. getting Thibodeau. Exactly. Um, but, but we're going to wrap up in a second. Thordian Hammer pointed out ESPN PN tried to figure out Becton's current weight and his nutritionist would only comment, commit to below 400. This is sort of a developing story. Those of us who love Becton coming out, there's all this whispers about, you know, how dedicated he has been. And I, while I hate stuff like that, there's a lot of them. And that's why there's a lot of talk about the Jets taking a tackle, putting themselves in a position where they could move on from Becton or move Becton elsewhere, et cetera. Exactly. And the the one weird thing I would say about him is like, you probably still want him at like 380. Like that's just yeah. the way that he's built, which so right. I don't necessarily think his weight is like a does he care type of thing. He literally is just built to where he has to have that kind of weight on him. Right. Um, I, Evan Neal, I thought was kind of like that. I was surprised yes. he got down to what he got to, <laughs> truthfully. Um, and honestly, yeah. I don't think he's going to play at that. He'll probably bulk back up a little bit. Yeah. Neal has somebody who's had weight issues. Uh, over the course of his career in the past as well. And a lot of those guys do. You worry because Becton's also had foot. Right. That That's probably yeah. the bigger thing to me. <laughs> right. And that's, and then that's a cycle because oh, I can't work out like the way I want to from a cardio standpoint for, because of a foot injury. And then I get heavier and that it, it exacerbates my, my foot injury. Exactly. Um, yeah. Let's, this is a good time for us to wrap up. And I want to remind everyone before we wrap up that everything we do here, draft related at football uh, outsiders is brought to you by underdog fantasy and you can use the promo code fo40 that's fo40 at underdog to double your deposit up to 100 links to underdog fantasy can be found in the description of this video below come play with us at underdog today you can play football fantasy football baseball nba over unders things like that there's a lot of stuff you can do there derek what's happening in film room this week i am for the first time in at least over a month, jumping back to the defensive side of the ball. Um, I figured before we hit the draft, I had to get to my favorite player in the entire class, which is Houston's Logan Hall. Um, you know, three tech kind of four eye, five tech kind of guy. Um, but I just think he's the the meanest guy in the entire class. So nice. I'm excited to to show the people why I love him. Awesome. So we have Logan Hall coming on film room. Check out football size. We also have Cubase and Playmaker Score and Backcast. And some of them are still working their way from the ESPN firewall to Football Outsiders, but check back every day. You can get Derek's work. You can catch those stat-based articles about quarterbacks and receivers. I got a three-round uh, mock draft up. You can also check that out. And uh, we'll be seeing Derek soon. Uh, and next week, Derek, there's going to be a, a top-secret, super-secret um, crossover event, a multiverse of madness, and, and Football Outsiders uh, will uh, be involved in it. Uh, so we might not catch you for two more weeks. Folks, you can catch me in two days with Aaron Schatz and a special guest to be determined, and we'll be discussing non-draft-related stuff. Thank you all for watching, listening. Remember, if you are engaging with us, please engage with us by liking, leaving reviews, etc., on whatever podcast or streaming service you use. Thanks for those of you who are with us now. Thanks for those listening later. Take care, and everyone enjoy your week.